In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. One of the biggest stories of last year was the continued rise in food prices. So much so that we now know food bank use exploded last year. The heads of major grocery chains have been called to testify before House of Commons committees. Consumers are struggling to afford the basics. And the government has begun work on a so-called grocery code of conduct and is exploring changes to the Competition Act. And so here, in the first week of 2024, the result of all of that... A trip to the grocery store in 2024 will likely still cost more, as much as $700 for a family of four. So here we are again. And believe it or not, the authors of the Canada Food Price Report that gave us that number say that it's actually something of a good news story because food prices will only rise a few percentage points this year. And while that happens... The government continues to put pressure on grocers to lower prices and develop a code of conduct, but Canadians are learning just how much profit those grocers are making. So why are food prices really going up? Is it greed? Is it the carbon tax? Is it legitimate expenses for major chains? And if that's true, then why are profits so high? What might the government do to cool off food prices and, at the bottom of it all, What can we all do to make sure more Canadians can afford to eat this year? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Jim Stanford is an economist as well as the director of the Centre for Future Work. And in December, he testified to the House of Commons Agriculture and Agri-Food Committee. Hello, Jim. Hello, Jordan. Why'd you testify uh, to a House of Commons committee? What are they trying to figure out in Ottawa? Why'd they invite you? Well, uh, this is a standing committee of the House of Commons on food-related issues. They've had a number of hearings uh, over the last uh, year or so about the problem with high food prices and the challenges that many Canadians are having affording food. Uh, This was actually my second uh, appearance. This was like the sequel, (laughs) Jordan. I I appeared uh, (laughs) earlier in uh, 2023, and then they had me back in December Uh, for a follow-up conversation about the most recent developments in food prices, the role of the supermarkets uh, in raising prices, and how they're basically making record profits as a result. Can you explain the research uh, you've been doing at the Center for Future Work into uh, both grocery prices and uh, grocery profits? Sure. Uh, There's different ways to, to get the data. For individual companies, of course, you can go and look at how much money they've made. That's uh, publicly available in the financial statements that they have to post for any companies that are publicly traded on a stock exchange. So 
companies like Loblaws, uh, Metro, Sobeys, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can see their financial reports. They don't necessarily give you as much data and breakdown as you would like in terms of you know where the money is being made, etc. But they all certainly confirm that the the profits of the of the supermarkets have been rising in the post COVID period when we've been grappling with uh, inflation. The source that I prefer to use, though, Jordan, is actually uh, from uh, official government sources. That's the Statistics Canada. Uh, They gather data on revenue and costs and profits for companies in all parts of Canada's economy, including, helpfully, the the food retail sector. They break it out as a separate uh, industry. And that way you get comparable data across all of the companies operating in an industry um, on a sort of standard time frame. Hmm. And uh, I find that uh, a more helpful way to get the big picture of what's happening in uh, the food retail sector. When you put all that data together, what stands out to you as your top line takeaway? What was your your very clear message uh, to the committee? And we'll get into the reasons for it in a minute, but uh, but I'd like to know the highlight. Well, the top line finding was really the bottom line of the right. uh, of the company's uh, business reports. Namely, they are making more money than they ever have, and their aggregate profits uh, I project for 2023 will likely exceed $6 billion Hmm. uh, across the food retail sector. Now, food retail includes those big supermarket chains that I mentioned. It also includes smaller grocers. It includes, you know, specialty stores, butchers, bakers, etc. But uh, by and large, most of the uh, trend is driven by the the big chains. They control around two-thirds of the total market, the, the three big chains. And uh, we have seen a a sustained and dramatic increase in profits uh, since uh, the COVID pandemic. Before the pandemic, typically uh, food retailers would make uh, aggregate profits of maybe around two to three billion dollars a year, and now they're going to earn six. So their profits have more than doubled uh, since the pandemic, and uh, this has gone hand in hand with the uh, takeoff of inflation in the whole economy. But inflation's been particularly bad in food and food-related products. So uh, clearly something is translating into um, uh, profits uh, in the sector. The other thing I found is that uh, food retail has sustained those high profits, unlike uh, many other parts of uh, the economy. Hmm. This problem of what I call profit-led inflation, where companies were able to take advantage of the disruptions and shortages that were associated with the pandemic, push up prices and boost their own profits— that occurred in many industries in Canada in the first year or two after the after the lockdowns ended. Uh, we actually saw corporate profits as a whole surge to their highest in Canadian history as a share of our GDP. Huh. But that started to moderate uh, as those shortages disappeared and supply chains were fixed and consumer spending normalized. In most of Canada, profits have come back down towards uh, those pre-COVID norms. In food retail, however, they're continuing to grow. And Hmm. uh, I was surprised to see that 2023 will be the best year ever for supermarket profits. What do the corporations and their leaders have to say about this? They've seen the same data that you have. They obviously know uh, that their profits are at a record level. The committee has seen that data. How did they explain themselves? Because they've been in front of that committee too. Oh, they have. In fact, uh, just before my appearance uh, in December, the CEO of Metro was, uh, was up there trying to say the same thing. What they say, Jordan, kind of depends on who they're talking to. And you hear two different messages depending on the audience. If they're talking to the uh, the business community and their own shareholders, for example, in the management discussion and analysis section of their financial reports or on conference calls with financial analysts when they release their quarterly results, uh, 
they, in a way, boast about how profitable they are because they're trying to sell themselves as a good investment opportunity. Right. And they have been a good investment opportunity. They've made uh, record profits. They've paid out record dividends. They're taking billions of dollars and buying back their own shares now. This has been something that's popular with the supermarkets is share buybacks as another way of driving the share price up uh, even further. So that's where they will talk about, you know, high margin products and uh, their marketing successes and the bottom line uh, results uh, being higher profits. However, they know that that is not a popular message with the consuming public that's uh, struggling to get food on the table. And so they change their tune when they go to, uh, say, the Commons Committee or remember in uh, late 2023, the industry minister gathered the CEOs in Ottawa for a private meeting to talk about food prices and how to bring them down, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. In those venues, um, they try to portray themselves as innocent intermediaries. All they're doing, they say, is passing on the higher costs that they have to pay for their own inputs. That would include the processed foods that they put on the shelves, and it would also include transportation, energy, labor costs, et cetera, everything right. else you have to buy when you run a supermarket. And they'll say, the only reason food prices are going up is because those costs are going up. Don't blame us, uh, in essence. And they have, I would say, a lot of very vague and misleading claims about how their profit margins are are low. They don't actually make that much money. Do we know their profit margins? Oh, uh, sure, yeah. Profit margin is a ratio where you can divide the bottom line income of uh, a company after all their costs, after taxes, etc., divided by the total revenue that comes in. In the food retail sector as a whole, uh, you can see that in the Statistics Canada data that I uh, cited. That's uh, about 3.5% hmm. in 2023. So uh, what that means is uh, for every $100 that's spent at the cashier, three point five $3.50 goes to the bottom line profit of the supermarket. Now, the CEOs will claim that's low. They'll say it's a very razor-thin margin hmm. is a term that they've used, which is nonsense. The companies, of course, don't make any of that stuff, right? They buy it from others, put it on the shelf, and sell it. Retailing is always and has always been a low-margin business in that regard compared to industries that actually have to design and develop and manufacture and, and, and everything else. And the margin itself has increased, has doubled since before uh, COVID. So what actually matters for investors is how much profit you're making relative to the capital that you put into the business. That's called the rate of profit, and that's actually more relevant than the so-called profit margin. And hmm. in the supermarkets, that rate of profit has been very high. Uh, in Weston, for example, the company that owns Loblaws, their actual rate of profit on invested capital, the return on equity, uh, was 26% hmm. uh, in the first uh, three quarters of 2023. So that's a lot more than you or I are making on our savings account, Jordan. I can tell you that much. We have done reporting on all the issues the pandemic has caused to supply chains, to the cost of labor, to all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So I think people would understand uh, that costs have gone up. But we're not talking about cost versus revenue here. We're talking about pure profit, right? And that is going up. You only need to have finished high school math, I think, Jordan, to understand if all you had, all that happened was your costs went up and you passed on your those costs in higher prices, then your profits shouldn't change if that's all you were doing. And there's different ways you could measure that, but the reality is the, the profits have more than doubled and the profit margin has widened. So there is more going on than simply passing on higher costs. And uh, I think there's been a lot of massaging of the message that the CEOs and those who support the, the grocery industry have uh, undertaken. There is no doubt that the aggregate profits of these companies have grown uh, dramatically since the pandemic. 
They are doing more than just passing on higher costs. And uh, they're doing so in the middle of what for many Canadians is a crisis. There are millions of Canadians who literally sweat to worry about how they can put food on the table. Mm -hmm. And there's all kinds of worrying signs. One of the bits of information I presented to the committee was the decline in the quantity of food that Canadians are buying. This is one way that they're responding to high prices is they're actually cutting back on the quantity of groceries they buy. And once you've adjusted for the the prices, we're spending more, there's no doubt about it, but we're buying less actual groceries. And that worries me because what does that result in? It results in people skipping meals or uh, kids going to school without a a good breakfast or Mm -hmm. families turning to food banks. We've seen record numbers of of food bank usage. So, you know, there's, uh, I think, lots of consequences for this. And you know, the, we could shrug and say, well, what else do you expect a corporation to do? They're going to charge whatever the market will bear. They're in business to make money and as much of it as possible. Mm-hmm. But I do think that both morally and economically, uh, there should be limits on that. And um, food is an essential commodity. And uh, I think that, that Canadians have not been well served uh, by these companies. In 2007... TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. Why do you think, um, and I'm going to use the term greedflation now, uh, although you haven't used it yet, I will point that out. Um, Mm. But why do you think that narrative has been so challenged? If, uh, you know, to your point, anybody with a high school degree can kind of look at the numbers and see uh, what it looks like is going on here. Mm. Yeah, uh, it's an interesting word, uh, greedflation. Um, I don't use it myself, Jordan. Um, Why not? Well, it's a bit of a pejorative term, first of all. And I, in my economics, I do try to, you know, I've got views, obviously, but uh, I do try to um, make them as, uh, you know, sort of evidence-based and scientific as possible. Mm-hmm. And it, the other problem with the term greedflation is it assumes that the greed just somehow appeared. You know, and the, the reality is that that profit motive that drives how corporations act has been there for decades and decades. Uh, so it doesn't really explain what changed after the pandemic. Right. If it was driven by greed and greed alone, why weren't the supermarkets, which had a very strong market position before the pandemic, why weren't they jacking up prices before the pandemic? And it's the unique combination of the disruptions and the supply chain problems and the shortages that allowed the supermarkets to, in a way, unleash greed. You know, greed was always there, But it went to town after the pandemic Hmm. because of the shortages, because consumers came out of lockdown with empty shelves and had to restock, uh, because of the disruptions, because of the confusion. Uh, One theory that many economists have put forward is that when overall prices are rising, companies can take advantage of that to sort of disguise their prices. And, you know, in in another time, someone would look at a price for, you know, $7 for a head of lettuce and say, what the heck? I'm not paying that. I'll go somewhere else. Right. But in conditions of broader inflation, then they say, well, I guess everything's going up and they sort of swallow it. So, you know, lots of reasons how it happened. 
But it isn't just greed. It's greed combined with the very strong concentration in this industry, the top three firms controlling about two-thirds of it. So that limits competition, combined, again, with uh, all of the unique disruptions after the uh, pandemic. Now, obviously, if you believe that corporations are noble and disciplined by the market and, you know, just following the laws of supply and demand, you aren't going to like a narrative that puts some critical attention on the role of corporations in the challenging situations that Canadians have faced since the pandemic. So there has been pushback on that. On the other hand, I would say that uh, in Canada and internationally, you've seen, I think, a growing recognition that um, unusually high corporate profits have played a very central role in the surge of uh, inflation uh, since the pandemic. Even our uh, Bank of Canada governor, uh, Mr. Macklem and his team, have acknowledged in their most recent statements that corporate pricing behavior is in fact relevant. Hmm. And the old focus that the problem of inflation usually, in their view, arises from average people having too much money and demanding too high wages. Those are the traditional storylines. They now recognize that's not enough to explain what's been happening since the pandemic, and they're starting to pay more attention to the role of uh, uh, corporate prices. So, I think it is uh, controversial, no doubt, for obvious reasons, but um, I do think the evidence uh, ultimately speaks for itself. And you are seeing a more openness to considering the role of corporate pricing, hmm. strategies, unusually high corporate profits, and what can we do about them uh, in terms of understanding and responding to this inflation. Well, let's talk about what's going to happen this year then. And I guess the first uh, thing I'll start with is the food price report that's done every December. It comes out of uh, the uh, agriculture division of Dalhousie University. I'll ask you, first of all, uh, have you read it? What did you think about it? And what do you expect for food prices this coming year? Yeah, I I did see that report, uh, Jordan. Um, They estimated uh, food inflation would slow down a bit uh, to something, I think, if I recall, between 2.5 and Mm 4.5% for the year. I think that's a reasonable forecast. We've already seen food price inflation come down quite a bit. At peak uh, in um, late 22 and early 23, it was running at 10 to 11%. By the end of 2023, it had fallen to about 5%. And it will fall a bit further in uh, 2024 and this year. I I think many obvious reasons for that. Some of those supply chain problems and shortages that I talked about uh, are being resolved. We've seen world agricultural prices uh, come down uh, a lot for commodities, for bulk commodities. We've seen world energy prices come down a lot after the price shock, after the Ukraine war. Mm -hmm. And uh, all of that eventually, I think, will uh, trickle through into more moderate uh, food price inflation. On the other hand, even that number is still going to be higher than the overall inflation rate. So by the end of 2023, overall inflation was down to about 3% in Canada and will probably fall further this year. So uh, it's better that food prices are growing more slowly, but they're still growing faster than everything else. So, you know, I do think, again, the slowness with which food prices have responded to the normalization of supply chains and falling world commodity prices, again, is cause for concern. And that has contributed to, uh, again, these record profits at the retail stage. They're paying less for their inputs now, but those are not being fully passed on to consumers, that's clear. 
What is the government doing about this? What's the purpose of uh, these committee hearings and what action might it take? I think probably a lot of uh, our listeners have heard about a potential grocery code of conduct. Mm -hmm. What would that be and what would it take to get there? Well, the governments uh, and, and the politicians, I think, sense the public's anger about food prices and the fear that comes with, you know, worrying whether you'll be able to put food on the on the table for your family. Uh, so, you know, they have been relatively active, uh, these uh, in inquiries. Uh, you mentioned the Competition Bureau, the federal government's Competition Bureau has uh, launched an inquiry into the food retail sector mm-hmm. that came out with some findings and uh, recommendations. The government has taken some measures. Uh, for example, they are uh, moving forward with changes to the competition law that would, um, I think, in some ways help. One of the things they're looking at is right now there are these very cozy practices where the supermarkets basically carve up the real estate that is used for major grocery stores. And you can um, do things like sign a deal with a mall that no other grocer will go into that mall other than you, even if you leave the mall. This is the amazing bit. Um, or other ways that the access to real estate and uh, retail space is controlled in this um, kind of cozy oligopoly that they have. So the government's moving to stop that practice uh, as recommended by the Competition Bureau. That's uh, positive. Uh, this code of conduct is a voluntary thing. It's uh, The government is facilitating it, but the government isn't ordering it. Uh, what it would involve is the major retailers and the food supply sector Uh, negotiating a kind of a set of fair practices so that there's more transparency in those uh, supply agreements that uh, result in uh, food processors uh, providing uh, food at a certain price for certain stores. Some of the problems that you have right now is big supermarkets, because they're so dominant in the market, uh, will actually charge uh, extra costs from the food suppliers for the right to sell their food on the on that store's shelves hmm. and have other kind of practices that sort of lock up uh, supplies rather than a, a sort of more transparent and more competitive relationship between them. So the code of conduct will not directly involve consumers and it won't be uh, required. It will be a voluntary code. And it's not clear yet that the big supermarkets are going to sign on. Um, when I appeared at the Commons Committee uh, in December... The, the person before me was the CEO of the Metro chain, and he said, um, for it to work, we need everyone to sign on. And he said that Metro would sign on, but at this point, it wasn't clear whether Loblaws and Sobeys would sign on, uh, in which case it, the, the code would lose uh, much of its uh, power. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think there's, uh, there's some benefit from the code. Uh, there are other countries that have them. but I wouldn't expect miracles from it. It doesn't directly involve the consumers, and... It, I think, is of major benefit to smaller grocery chains and smaller food suppliers. These are the ones who can't afford those cozy deals that I was talking about. And uh, they they would have, I think, a chance to run a fairer business under the Code of Conduct. And that could eventually uh, result in better prices for consumers. So last question then. I mean, what could we do this year uh, to get more affordable food into the stomachs of Canadians. You mentioned people are potentially skipping meals, buying less food. Uh, we know food bank use is at an all-time high. Uh, what's something practical that we could do uh, early this year? 
Yeah, I think there's a number of uh, levers that have to be pulled, uh, Jordan. I think we should have stronger competition laws that can uh, give the the Bureau more power to, first of all, collect detailed information from the grocery stores, which they don't have at this point, and publicize it, and then also uh, monitor and, uh, when needed, step in to improve competitive uh, conditions, either by blocking mergers. I mean, these three chains got so big by taking over smaller chains. So Mm. a stronger competition authority could have more power to stop those mergers or even to order divestitures a breakup of big companies where where it looked like that would help uh, consumers. Another thing that could be done would be uh, to consider excess profit taxes on some of the companies, including the big supermarket chains that have profited so much from uh, this inflation. Uh, we have an excess profits tax already in Canada on the banks and the insurance companies. And I think there's other industries that have contributed disproportionately to inflation, including food retail, uh, that could be targets for that. Then you take the revenue from those graduated taxes on profits and you give it back to particularly low-income Canadians who can't uh, afford groceries. So we did that a bit uh, with that expanded GST credit that the federal government put in place. Mm -hmm. I think that should be continued and uh, expanded. Uh, Another part, of course, of the cost of living crisis is not just what you pay for stuff, it's how much income you have. And that's where, you know, I think part of the solution in the end is going to be to make sure Canadians have more money. Uh, now, the conventional wisdom would say, well, that's just going to cause more inflation. If you give people the money so they can afford groceries at Loblaws, then they'll just keep shopping there. But, you know, the reality is those prices are going up whether our wages are going up or not. So right. at least we've got to make sure that people's wages, including the wages, by the way, for grocery workers, uh, amazing stories that some of them go to food banks mm-hmm. because even uh, full, some full-time grocery store workers can't afford to buy at the stores that they work at. Uh, so part of the solution is uh, supporting Canadians' incomes as well so that we can keep up with those prices. Jim, thank you for all this. Uh, always a pleasure and I always learn a lot. Uh, here's to a better year, I hope, this year. Thank you very much, Jordan. Thank you. That was Jim Stanford, economist and director of the Centre for Future Work. And that was the big story. It feels great to be back. We've had a wonderful holidays. We've taken some downtime. I hope you have too. And we have all sorts of different ideas for you this year. We're also looking for your different ideas. If you have something that needs to be on our radar this year, please reach out. You can find us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. You can shoot us an email to hello at TheBigStoryPodcast.ca. Or you can call us 416-935-5935 and leave a voicemail. The Big Story is available in absolutely every podcast player and on every smart speaker if you ask it to play The Big Story podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now.